Good morning, everyone. Let's all get started. Welcome, Henson. And welcome. I'm glad you guys are here. Okay, we're going to open up with prayer. Um, I've asked Steve if you will pray for us this morning to get started. Thank you. Let's all stand and sing Blessed Assurance, page 572. Oh, we got one more thing. Hold on. Somebody has an anniversary this morning. Miss Karen, where are you? Karen? Huh? Oh, she's in the nursery? Well, let's sing for her. We're going to sing happy anniversary for her because it's her 40th anniversary. Be sure to wish her a happy anniversary today when you see her. All right, so we're going to turn to page 572, Blessed Assurance.
Father, we thank you for being in the cab here, Lord. Lord, I ask that the earth would bless you as much as you bless us, Lord. I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, let's all stand and we're going to sing page 688, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us.
Y'all pray for me while I do this song. The words are tiny on the screen and my phone is missing, so say a prayer. Sierra, appreciate that so much. Good to see everybody today. Glad that you are here. How many of you are awake today? All right, some of you. That's excellent. 
You know, I walked in here and I always get nervous when I walk in and it's a quiet auditorium. I walked in today and it was like, man, is it quiet. I like a little action, a little alertness that tells me you're, you're awake and the day's going okay. Some days though, you know, we just have them, don't we? Like, I think I'll just chill a little bit. I'll be here, but don't be pushing me, Pastor, all right? Well, today we're going to start a two-week series. It's called Really Knowing God. And so as we look at it, I want to give credit to a man named Todd Phillips. Uh, he wrote uh, the outline of this, and a lot of it I've interjected with myself. But I, I was really moved when I had read it one time, and I felt I wanted to do it. And so hopefully it will be a blessing to you. Uh, the title of this message today is How God Works in Our Lives. I remember going a week ago Friday, I was heading over to Nitro, and uh, I was going to watch my, two of my grandkids play ball. One plays t-ball, one plays baseball, and so I was getting there. I was a little bit late because I'd been running through the day, and so I get over there just in time for all the people to start walking away. Like, hey, what's going on? They called the game. The reason why? Weather radar said a massive storm is coming. If you were around outside last Friday night, you know it was a massive storm came. You know the great thing about that is that before the kids were out on the field, and before all the things happened with all the fields going on there, they had a warning. They had a way to say, it is not gonna be safe for them to get out there. You might as well not even try, because you need to really get to your cars, because it's almost here. You know, wouldn't it be nice if God would do that for us? Get ready, you're gonna have a storm come in your life. But often God doesn't do that, does he? Sometimes he may give indications. Sometimes he may say, yeah, there's, you know, perk your ears up because something might be happening in your life. But more than not, it seems like it doesn't happen that way. We're not able to pull up God radar and say, okay, God, is anything forecast for my life coming up today or tomorrow? It just comes. It just happens. And so as we look at this passage today, we're, we need to realize that, that God allow storms in our lives. Uh, and when those times of storms come, uh, it's easy for our security to be shaken if it's not in Jesus alone. He's the one who gets us through the storms. In fact, I believe there are times that God shakes our security as a Christian if your security is in something other than him. We start depending on ourselves. Oh yeah, I can handle that. Don't worry about it. I've got it covered. And all of a sudden, things mess up. Sometimes God will shake our lives so that our so-called security doesn't give us what we were counting on. Because God wants us to trust Him, amen? He wants us to believe Him. He wants us to, even though we don't know what's coming, good or bad, He wants us to daily be trusting in Him. And so today, we're going to see that when we're facing problems God sent solutions. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that he doesn't just hang us out to dry? That says, hey, I created you, I blessed you, I gave you a savior, and now it's all up to you. No, he said, I am with you all the way. I am with you in every moment, whatever you go through. So today in Mark chapter 4, we're going to take a glance at this passage, and we're going to deal more with it next week. But I want to read it to give us a little preface about a storm. 
It said in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, that day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, he took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Then he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What an amazing account how God began to work in the lives of the disciples. But you know, there are ways in which God sends solutions through our, to our storms. I want to mention three of these today that I think really cover most of what we <clears throat> excuse me, would see. The first one is the word intervention. This happens when God comes in and he just changes the circumstances and does something that only he can do. Most of us would call that a miracle. I mean, when God just intervenes and you look back and you say, wow, that was something else. I never dreamed that would happen that way. I was asking our class today, share some of those moments. Well, you know what? Often they don't come that way, do they? God doesn't just dissipate the problem. He doesn't take away the storm. He doesn't say, okay, yeah, you asked me, let's just get rid of it. I, was, I shouldn't have brought it anyway. I don't think that's how God works, is it? The great thing of it is, though, is that when we think of this word intervention, at least if you are a believer in Christ, there has been one time when God intervened and performed a miracle. It was that moment that he began to touch your heart and you invited Jesus Christ to be your savior. I hope you never forget that intervention that God gave to you, that he touched your heart, he helped you see that you're a sinner, you're in need of salvation, that he loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, give himself for us, rise again, make the payment for our sin. Listen, that is the moment God intervened in your life if you know Christ as your Savior. If you don't know him yet today, maybe that's the moment God wants you to have. He is speaking to your heart. You sense that need and he is saying to you, will you not let me become your Savior? So we've all experienced it once at least in our lives. It was a miracle. We had a young boy saved this week. It was exciting. We'll share more about that maybe later. But I, I was thinking because, you know, some people say, well, kids can't get saved. They got to, you know, know all this stuff first. And I look back and I remember the moment I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I was either five or six. I don't remember the day. I don't remember the month. I don't remember any of that stuff. But I do remember the moment it happened. God moves, God works, God changes lives. It was an intervention by God's Spirit for me. And so we see those things where God works. In Acts chapter 16, we're not going to turn there, but I'm sure you're very familiar with the passage. Paul and Silas, they had been followed by this slave girl who was demon-possessed, and she was mocking Jesus. Paul had finally had enough of it. He, he prayed and cast the demon out of her. 
Well, the owner did not like it because that's how he was making a ton of money. They took Paul and Silas, they beat them, and they threw them into prison. That had to be a horrible moment. We know the rest of the story, don't we? Paul and Silas, rather than whining and complaining, are singing and praising God. And what did God do in that moment? He, he sent a what? Earthquake. And all of a sudden, the jail cells, that said even the, the bottom of it, it's just shaking. All the doors open up. Everyone has freedom and they are able to come out. The jailer comes out and says, what must I do to be saved? He had heard all this singing and this praising of God and Jesus. And when that miracle, that intervention came about, he came in. God did an intervention. He did something miraculous that could not have happened if he had not done that. God worked in a miraculous way. You know, I think this is what we pray for first most of the time, isn't it? God, I need your help out of this situation. I need a miracle. I mean, isn't that our prayer? How many of us really want to go through issues and problems in life? We just want God to zap it and get rid of it out of our lives. Well, God sometimes does intervene. Like we said today, most often that's not the way God works. But I'm thankful that at times he does it just to say, you needed this. And I needed to show myself for who I am. And therefore, I'm going to do whatever that miracle was. Now, there's a danger. Some may think that this is the only way God works. Well, God's got to, he's got to perform this magic. <laughs> we might not call it that, but it's like God's got to do something to get us out of this situation. And when he doesn't, it's easy to become disillusioned. And it can hurt we can get hurt a couple of ways when he doesn't work like we think he should have done. We get hurt through the circumstance when it doesn't change. But God, I prayed, I asked you, I, I, I said that I knew you could do this and you didn't do it. Well, let's be real. We've had those moments, haven't we? When we said, God, you've got to do it and God says, I don't have to do it. In fact, I'm not going to do it because there's a bigger purpose for what it is. Sometimes we get hurt also through improper interpretation of God's actions. We have a limited view of God's character. We think God has to work it like we think he has to work it. And it doesn't work that way, does it? Maybe we get an attitude and we look at God through the lens of our eyes and say, well, God, this is how I would do it. Why won't you do it this way? And maybe in your heart, if you don't say it out loud, you might say, God hates me. Or at least he doesn't love me. He doesn't care enough to get me out of this. How many people have we watched, at least for a while, become disillusioned because God didn't intervene and give them what he thought and they walk out the door for a while? That's the limit of their faith. That's the limit of their belief. And because God didn't do it their way, they got hurt. And they felt God wasn't going to be who he should have been. Well, the great thing in this passage we looked at is that God did for the disciples an intervention. Can you imagine being in that boat, in that storm? Jesus, if you read the passages before, was, I'm sure, just so wiped out physically and mentally. 
He had taught and taught and done so many things. And now he says, let's get over to the other side. He was exhausted. He goes to the stern. He's down. He's laying on a cushion. The storm doesn't even wake him up. You know, sometimes we say, how could that happen? You ever been yourself, or especially little kids, stuff going all around, sleep right through it when you're really tired. Water's coming in over the top of the boat. The disciples had been on that lake like crazy amount of times. Two of them were fishermen. More of them probably, but they were there. They had seen the storms of Galilee. They knew what it was like. They knew it in a moment's time. It could come off there, and man, everything's in upheaval. But this was a storm. Some commentators believe it was somewhat satanically induced. I mean, this was something coming after them. These guys were scared. They were fearful. They were wondering what was going to happen. And they're crying out to God, Jesus, won't you wake up? Don't you care that we're going to drown? I mean, you can feel the intensity in their voices. Jesus wakes up and he says, quiet, be still. And immediately that storm was muzzled. No more wind, no more waves, instantaneous calm upon that lake. Listen, I thank God that there are those few moments in life that he just said, I'm going to show you something that you never knew until this moment. I'm going to give you a little bit of faith blessing that you have never experienced until this moment. And you know, for us, we can probably go back to a few of those moments in life and we can say, God, thank you for that moment. But that's not always how he works, is it? In fact, if we can remember those moments, we know it's more often that he doesn't. But thank God that he does some. So he works through intervention. He also gets solutions through interaction. In other words, God empowers us to do something in the situation. He helps us help ourselves. Maybe you've gotten a financial crisis. Oh God, what I'm going to do? God says, you have a healthy body. Go get a second job for a while. Get out of your crisis that you maybe allowed yourself to get in or maybe something happened. But I've given you a body that can help you do what you need to do to get out of it. Don't sit on the couch and whine about how bad your situation is. Go do something about it. So he intervenes. He challenges you. Sometimes he uses our community of faith to help one another. Isn't it great when somebody has come along, helped you in a crisis, in a situation, when you felt like your world was falling apart and God just put somebody right in your way? Somebody who knew how to reach out, somebody who knew how to touch your life, and man, what a blessing it was. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we're probably familiar with these passages. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now catch this, who comforts us in all our trials so he does his part so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Some of the storms God has allowed you to go through, they're not just for you. They are for you to deliver and help somebody else who's going through the same crisis. May we never forget God doesn't waste crises. He uses them for our own good and his glory, and he uses them for you to touch the lives of someone else. 
Verse 5 says, For when we were, came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, and catch this, fears within. You've been there, haven't you? Those moments hit you, those storms come, those crises come, and man, outside everything's upheaval and inside's even worse. I mean, you can put on a good face, but you know inside you're shaken. Paul said he was even feeling that. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that, at my, that my joy was greater than ever. Paul and them are feeling it, man. They go down to this area, everything's in upheaval. And all of a sudden, God sends a man. You know what? It only takes one, lady or gentleman. It only takes one to come into your life to give you what you need sometimes at those moments. And God just miraculously uses an, an interaction in, by their lives into your life. And all of a sudden, your heart changes. You get a little encouragement. You get a little blessing. You get a little saying, you know what, I can take another step forward. And God uses that person. There have been a ton of them in our lives. Mine and Nita's, our families, I'm sure you've had them. I was just thinking physically. I remember when we'd been in our house for nine years. I was getting ready to go to uh, Alpine Camp down in Beckley to speak to the teens all that week. I was their speaker for the week. And it had rained really hard, and I was getting up that Monday morning, and all of a sudden I saw some down through our garage basement, some water coming. I'm like, whoa, this isn't good. I look run upstairs, look out the, at the creek, and water is lapping in our yard. It had just, just a terrendous downpour. My son and I, we tried to go get sandbags. Oh, it's a hilarious story. I'll tell you about it sometime. I will say this, you know, I, our clothes were soaked, so they let us borrow some friends who were up on the hill. My friend Ivan was about this much shorter than me, so my pants are about this high off of my feet. Well, guess who the news decided to come take pictures of in video during after the storm? Yeah, I said, oh, great, there's the Hicks from West Virginia. But you know, when those storms came, man, it just, it just hit so hard. We called some friends and man, a whole troop of people came out helping us clean all this junk out, all the muck from the creek, all the stuff that happened. Same way during our derecho and a tree falls 60 feet from my house and lands clear across the whole end of it. We're scrambling to get the house covered from the storm. A friend of ours got finally made one of three ways to get up there. The first two were blocked, got it covered. The next day, we had another entourage of good friends who came to meet our needs. Listen, you've had those moments. Maybe it wasn't a big thing like that, but you knew you needed help, and God just gave you what you needed. And it's important to recognize when God brings you someone to help bring you comfort that you realize it is from him. My wife was talking to somebody recently and she's a widow and she was talking, this lady was talking to another who had recently become widowed, spent three hours on the phone with her, just helping her get through some of those questions about life. You see, that's what we do, isn't it? 
we jump in, we help when we can. If we can help, we do it. If we can't, that means God doesn't want us. He has somebody else ready. But when he knows, we jump in and help. Titus and the family of faith was there ministering to Paul. And thank God he gives us people in that way. You see, God wants him to do, he, he will do a work and he wants us to work together. Maybe you're having a, an illness and you pray for healing, but you also go to the doctor. Maybe you're praying for safety, but you also put on the seat belts. You see, God works, but he expects you to do your part or the part of somebody else interacting in your life so that you can get the help that you need. God can intervene, the first thing we sent, we said, but he doesn't usually do the miraculous, but he'll usually interact. He'll do his part, he'll bring somebody else to do what you can't do for yourself at that moment. But there's a warning with this whole thought. You need to run from those who only want miracles. <laughs> we might call them snake handlers down here in West Virginia. Man, I can, I can praise Jesus with that. I can get bit and I'm okay. Well, bless them, I'm staying away. You see, we need to understand that those people are only trying to test God. It's almost like they're saying, I don't lock my doors at night, I just trust God. Well, you know what? A lot of times I lock my door when I'm even home. God expects us to use our intelligence, amen? So God intervenes. There are those moments God just says, boom, this is it. You needed this. I needed to give you this. There is no other explanation as to how it was corrected. But that's rare. There are those times God uses interaction where he says, you know what? I know you're hurting. I knew you were going to be hurting anyway, and I've already got somebody ready to help you. And they come in and they minister to you and they help you and they walk side by side with you or in that moment of crisis, even if it's just for a day or a few hours or a phone call or whatever it may be, God uses them to give you what you need. There's a third way that I believe God works and answers and it's through interaction. When it's concerning interaction, guess what God does concerning the circumstance? He doesn't do anything. He doesn't change the circumstance. It's still right in front of you. It's still part of what you're going to have to face in life. He is not going to remove it from you. He's not going to take it out of your way. It is going to be there in your life. That's the ones we hate, isn't it? That's the ones that almost even now when we're sitting here, we get this sense of anxiety like, Lord, I don't want to go through another one of those. But God allows them. The reason he does is because he doesn't change the circumstance, he changes us. He begins to work within who we are because God is more concerned about us than he is any circumstance. And so he will take whatever he needs to take and use it however he needs to use it to make us more like his son. And he'll do for us what only he could do through that circumstance, through that heartache, and he will give us what we need. And I believe that's most often how God works. He changes us on the inside. He begins to delve within us and show us some things that we need to change about the situation, about the attitude toward, toward the response that we're giving. 
Any of you ever been mad at God and told him yet you were? I hope so. Because God knows we're human. And he knows we face things. And there's times that it just hits us and it grates us. And, and if we just hold it inside, we're not going to help ourselves any. But when we can go to our Heavenly Father, even when we're upset, he can handle it. He can take it and he knows what we need. And often after that, he says, now you're done. And then he starts to massage the heart and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, but what he can do within us. He gives us the strength to live in seemingly impossible situations. And most of us have been in those at some time or another in our lives. Sometimes it's been in a moment, sometimes it's been in a season in life, but you have faced them. And God wants to work the miracle in us, changing us. Paul was in prison. We've already looked at that, referenced it. Clement of Rome, he lived during the Paul's days. He wrote a lot about what happened during the early church. And he said that, the Apostle Paul was arrested seven times in his life. That's pretty amazing, isn't it, for being a Christian? Seven times stuck in a cell, stuck in a dirty, dank place that was awful to be in. In the book of Acts 16, we already read God performed a miracle. <laughs> the earthquake, boom, they're all free. The jailer comes, trust Christ. You see, often in life, when we see God work in a certain way, we expect the same the next time, don't we? Oh, I know how this is going to work out. I know exactly what he's going to do. But often, God is so unique, he's so creative, that he never does the same thing the same way. It teaches us more about trust, doesn't it? it teaches us more about faith and what we're going through. And so based on this, Paul may have figured it on a miracle in the next circumstance. Yet in Acts 22, there was no miracle. He stood up for his faith in God, but when he mentioned some things and what he was sharing with the crowd, they rioted. They threw him into jail. They were about to flog him, and the only thing that got him out of there was he was a Roman citizen. There was no earthquake. There was no miraculous event. God just had to keep working and helping Paul through that situation. Often we sadly base our next storm, as I said, on what happened in the previous one. But God is not the kind of God that we can just say, ah, I got you figured out. He's the one who wants to surprise us. You know, I think sometimes God gets a chuckle just thinking about how he's going to help us. They're thinking it's going to be this way, but oh, I got something even, even better, even cooler. It's going to be wonderful how I'm going to help them. And they're going to see me in a different light. And they're going to see me in a way that they never knew they could see me in that light. Let me ask you, how do you respond when the miracle doesn't happen? Remember that intervention? The earthquake, the calming of the storm. When that doesn't happen, how do you respond? In Philippians 4, Paul is in jail in one of those seven times. He writes what many consider a letter of joy back to the Philippians. Let me ask you, what would you write if it were you in jail? Oh, the food is horrible. The accommodations are atrocious. 
Couldn't they put me up at the Marriott or some other nice facility? No, he's in the worst of the worst. And yet look what he says in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm sure when they first heard those words, as that was read to the congregation of the Philippi, they're like, what? That's why I think he said those next words. I will say it again. Rejoice. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's changing perspective, isn't he? He's showing them that even the circumstance he's in does not dictate who he is. He will trust God through it. Then he reminded them, let your gentleness be evident to all. And I love this next sentence, the Lord is near. Listen, when you're, you're going through that jail cell, you're going through that storm, you're going through that crisis in life, may we never forget that he's right there with us. He hasn't wandered off. He, he hadn't run over to the restaurant to get a quick bite to eat. No, no, he is right here with us. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, remember where Paul is, he says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And those are powerful words. Well, you know, I, I would like to give a new 2023 New Christian Version edition of those verses. Listen as I read. Rejoice in the Lord when you can. I'll say it again, when you can. Let others see your rage or fear. Even if the Lord sees, I'm not sure how much he really cares. Anxiety is a part of your life, so you can throw it out to God, but it's up to you to deal with it. And make sure when you share it, you share it with a certain amount of whining. By doing it this way, you won't have God's peace, but who says you could have had it anyway? It's too real, isn't it? It's too genuine. Because a lot of times we put on a nice facade and we say, hey, God's got it all under control and I'm right there with him. But in reality, we lay our heads down on a pillow at night and we say, God, I'm frustrated. I don't get this. I'm fearful. I'm angry. I'm upset. I don't see this at all. Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? Why are you allowing this to happen in my family's life or my friends or whatever it may be? God, I don't get it. When God says, that's not what I want you to look at during this situation. I want you to look at me because the one who's going to help you in this situation and help them is me. So quit whining and quit relying upon yourself and your attitude and look to me. That's what God wants. Paul was being guarded by soldiers in that prison. But you know what was even greater? In that prison, God was guarding Paul's heart. He was guarding his attitude. And Paul, writing back to these people while he's in prison, rejoice, the Lord's near, everything's great. It wasn't great, but it was great between him and the Lord. And he was dealing with it. Paul lives through the experience and he writes from the experience. He goes through it. He's feeling it. He's sensing it. But it didn't change his perspective 
of his God. Philippians 4, 8, 9, the next verse, says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, and I catch these next words, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, God wants our process of thinking to change. If we were stuck in a jail, hey, what would happen today if all of a sudden within this next year, our whole government rearranges and changes, and guess what? It's Christians put into prison. Where would we be? What would we be saying? How would we respond? God said, it's not the circumstance. It's you I'm concerned about. It's you I want to change. It's your heart I want to uplift. And Paul reminds the believers there about the importance of their thinking and what they think about. And the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul's inner life was the key. It was what was going on inside that was making the difference. You know, so often I think we major on the minors. We focus on the irrelevant. In the scheme of life, a lot of the things that we attach so much value to have little value in life. And yet we get on a, a bent, and we talk about it, we get upset, and we keep harping about it. Paul was in a bad circumstance and yet had complete joy. Listen, some of you may be in good circumstances and you're feeling empty and you have no joy. It's not the circumstance, it's the relationship that God wants you to have with him through whatever you're going through in life. Circumstances don't bring us joy, only Jesus does. Listen to what it says in Romans 12 too, Paul was writing, he said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, catch this again, by the renewing of your mind. Change your perspective of thinking. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God wills, God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Back to Philippians 4, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You get a little different perspective of that last verse, don't you? We always use it, I can do anything through Christ, man, I can climb mountains, I can do this, I can do that, and God says, can you be content with the circumstance I'm letting you go through? It's not always about the forward motion, is it? Sometimes it's the standstill motion and God is churning within our hearts. We've got people all around us. We've got need, we've got want, we've got whatever. And sometimes we have good things. And as I said, we're not always joyful inside. God says, I, through Paul, he said, I have learned in every situation to be content. And therefore, because of that, I can do all things through him. That means through him I can be content being sitting here in this rotting, stinking jail. It doesn't steal my joy. 
It doesn't steal my perspective. It doesn't change the situation, but I have him and he's what I need. Learn to be satisfied in any and every circumstance through contentment. You know how you get it? Comes from an inner change, doesn't it? Mentally in our hearts before the Lord. Lord, I don't like this. It's okay to tell God, but you don't stay there. You keep sharing your heart. You know, it's interesting. Paul, as the Bible describes, had a thorn in the flesh, and we know he prayed three times for God to remove it. I don't know all the reasons, but do you ever have, have wondered why he prayed three times? Well, it tells me he was very specific in those prayers, but I think what it really says is that he wasn't satisfied with the answer the first two times. God, I don't like this thing. I hate it, in fact. I don't want it in my life. Why don't you get rid of it? Take it out. It's not part of what I want for my life. And then he says no. Then another, he says no. And finally, after the third time, God came to him. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, quit asking. I've determined that this is what's going to happen, and therefore, you need to trust me with it. The Bible never says that it ever departed from his life. We don't know. But God said, I've given it to you. It's there for a purpose. It's there for a reason. And I'm asking you to trust me and rejoice in the fact that you can trust me with it. Because of what God had done for Paul in teaching him spiritual realities, God would use that thorn to keep him humble. You know, some of you may have a thorn in your life. You pray about it. Sometimes God may take it away. But if it stays, may we realize that God has a purpose in it. There is a reasoning behind it that is bigger than maybe what we comprehend when it happens to us. And he wants to use it to help us. God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And sometimes we're a mess, aren't we? Let's be honest. We look in the mirror and life is like, oh, I don't know if I can take anymore. But God will not leave us where we are. He may keep the thorn right where it is for your good. For Paul, it was a humbling effect because God had revealed so many amazing things to Paul. He may keep the thorn right where it is for the encouragement of others. Some of you have gone through some deep waters and it has been so evident and others have come up to you and says, listen, I don't think I could have done what you have been doing, but you have challenged my faith. Not in a bragging way, but you, would you wear that as a, a badge of courage, a badge of blessing that God says to you, you can handle what I'm about to deliver to you and you will come out good through it. And certainly God will use it to bring glory to himself. You know, God works in our lives. He sometimes intervenes, many times interacts, but I think most often he wants to change us on the inside. How long have you been praying for God to get rid of the thorn, but it stayed? Or the storm you're going through? You know, you may be missing the interaction from others by only looking for the miracle. You may have pushed people aside, says, no, 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 I'm waiting for God to do this. 
when all of a sudden he said, yeah, I did do this, and you rejected it. How many have wandered away from God because the only way they felt he worked was through intervention? God didn't perform that miracle for me. I've seen it do it for somebody else. I don't get it. And rather than say, God, I, you've got another way, they walk away. God has a redemptive plan for your thorn, for your circumstance. He's good, and he's a gracious God. He's much more concerned in your change than in the circumstance you may be facing. You may be doing fine right now. Have joy in your heart. You may go through a very difficult week. We don't know. We never know. It's an amazing thing about God. Remember we said at the beginning, he doesn't give us the weather radar, the storm radar of life. He just says it's time. And he takes us through things that draw us, hopefully, to our knees before him. May we do like Jesus did when he was going to the cross as he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And through that, may our prayer also be teach me from it to become more like Christ. Listen, I don't know what we will go through in life. If you've been living very long, you have gone through something. Some of you have gone through multiplied somethings. And you've given God glory. Doesn't mean it's always been easy. Doesn't mean that you didn't have those discouraging moments. Paul did. Remember, he said, I got fear inside. Man, this thing was hitting heavy. Then God brought him Titus. I don't know what it'll be. I don't know what it'll be for any of us, but it will come because God cares more about us than he cares about the circumstance. And when he allows it and when he brings it, It may be to shake that other security out of our life and bring us right directly to him. Now listen, that is a good thing. Amen? Amen. Father, today we thank you for your goodness. Lord, it's really hard sometimes, the things we go through, and Lord, our perspective is even harder. Lord, there are times that we don't understand and Lord there may be circumstances we have already gone through that we look back and we still don't really get it all but God we know you work for our good you love us you care about us and God you want to do in and through us all that can be done to strengthen us and to glorify our Savior Lord help us in those ways Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Maybe today you're saying, Pastor, please pray for me today. I don't need to know your situation unless later you want to share it with me. God already knows. But you would say, would you pray for me today as you, before we sing together, that God would minister and help me in this storm. Would you just raise your hand? Let me see, pray for you. A lot of us have hands up today. We hurt. We feel it. Thank God He cares. Thank you. Now, Lord, you have seen our hearts. You've seen the hands. Oh, Lord, I pray that as we go from this place, Lord, as we close with a song today, that, God, we are reminded that you are right there with us. I love that sentence again. The Lord is near.
Lord, you're near even now. Thank you for the hearts that have been touched and challenged. Lord, may we respond to you as we should. Lord, we love you and we know you love us. God, give to us what we need and help us to give out to others what they need. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're going to sing. Is Sarah in here today? There she is. Okay. Let's stand. We're going to sing this as a closing today as God leads. Thank you. All right, we're going to sing the first and last verse.